Everybody's turning to Jonathan on me. <laughs> uh, all right, the computer is not cooperating this morning. Oh. That's all right. Are we caught up? All right. I don't remember what I put in there for scripture, so I can't warn you what's coming. I don't remember. There you see. There you go. <laughs> That's what happens when you, we've got about 18 cords running back there and 15 things that need to be plugged in and started at the same time. The more complicated it gets, the more opportunities we get to mess something up. Go team. So, all right. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. If a man does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. He has also prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, he travails with wickedness, and he conceives mischief, mischief and brings forth falsehood. He has dug a pit and hollowed it out, and has fallen into the hole which he made. His mischief will return upon his own head, and his violence will descend upon his own plate. I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness, and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you that the wrath that you will pour out on sin has been poured out upon Christ on our behalf, that we do not have to fear and we do not have to wonder, but by your work we are clean and we are the upright of heart, not because we are good, but because you have provided your goodness for us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for that great work and ask that you would continue to strengthen us, that as we walk and as we live, we would remember where we stand and we would remember most of all why we stand and we would rejoice in your kingdom. Christ's name we pray. Amen. God is an awesome God who reigns from heaven and up with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God who reigns from heaven and earth with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns. From heaven above with wisdom, power, and love, our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God who reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love, our God is an awesome God. God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love, our God is an awesome God. 
Our God is an awesome God who reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. All righty. <laughs> Couple of things. Read your bulletin. It will do you good. Reminder about the nursery. If you were on the nursery, you've been fired because we fired everybody in the nursery list. So if you want to get back on the list, let us know. We just we had so many people at so many different schedules that if you're able to do it at some point, let us know. Let me know. Let Elena know. We'll get you back on there. Good to go. I have on this list that says church council this week. Church council is not this week. I'm deleting that. Um, couple of updates. Pretty much no change on Gail and Vi. So things are where they have been. Although I'm going to guess that Shelby's feeling better because she's here. Yay! <laughs> As if Bill told me this morning, Sam and Shelby might be here, so that'll depend on how Shelby feels. So, <laughs> so glad that the rib is doing well. Stop breaking things. That, that's the advice, right? Don't break things. <laughs> it's easier said than done, right? Am I forgetting something else because I have such a short list this week? In that case, we'll get to the fun stuff. Um, ha, ha, ha. I say that only half, uh, half seriously. Uh, going through the state of the church survey, simply because I think it will be good for us to figure out exactly what's wrong with this world, because it makes sense. So the stuff we went through last week is on the, uh, the top line there. So don't shout it out, but think through for a second. These were the, three que the next three questions in line, and I'll give you the survey results once we kind of go through them. So the question was, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. All right, these are all true-false. The Holy Spirit is a force, but is not a personal being. <laughs> the Holy Spirit gives a spiritual new birth or new life before a person has faith in Jesus Christ. All right, that last one will be interesting. So let's go through. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. True or false? That is false. Now, this is where it gets really frightening. You ready? For those people that would... Uh, be on our side of the fence on things, and who attend church once a week. Remember, I'm not just going with the, with the, with the Christer crowd. I want the people that are actually claiming to go to church week in and week out. 30% uh, of them thought that statement was true. <sighs> now, 67% did say false, so that's, that's, that's some good news. But 30% of the people in evangelical churches in this country who go to church week in and week out thought that it was a true statement that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Now, if you remove all of those controls and you include every Christian denomination, regardless of attendance, 51% of them thought that was true. <sighs> yeah. All right. The Holy Spirit is a force, but is not a personal being. That is false as well. 47% um, of the people who go to evangelical churches once a week thought that statement was true. 47% of the people that go to evangelical churches once a week thought that the Holy Spirit was not a personal being, but a force. I think if nothing else, going through the survey will explain just how little understanding we have of the Trinity and how that actually breaks, breaks down and makes itself relevant in life. So Now, if you remove all the, uh, all the controls on that, regardless of attendance and denomination, 59% of the people thought that statement was true. 
The Holy Spirit gives a new gives a spiritual new birth or new life before a person has faith in Jesus Christ. See, that is going to be one that's going to depend on where you came from, believe it or not. If you are um, what's referred to as a Reformed Baptist or you are a Presbyterian or most, most Orthodox Lutherans, they would say that statement is true. And I can understand the argument on both sides. We've talked about this before in Sunday school. I'm not going to try to hash it out here. In the survey, uh, 52% of people who go to evangelical churches every week thought that was true. 39% thought that was false. Regardless of the group, it was 51-25, which means about 25% of the people went, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> which that's the, that was the first question really ran across that had that high of a number of so that last one I think we could we could have some fun discussion on and argue about but this is not the t- place or time the important ones are really the, the, the first two for today to say that Jesus is not God is a fundamental denial of Christian doctrine because if he is not what we would refer to as the God-man, the hypostatic union in action. So fully God, fully man, in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. If he is not those things, then we do not actually have the sacrifice that I prayed about when reading Psalm 7. We don't have that because we do not have a representative before the Father. If he is not God, he cannot be good. Because how many people are good? Exactly, none. So in order to be good, he has to be God. Not just that, he has to be able to offer an eternal sacrifice. No human being can do that. He has to be able to ascend into the heavenly court. No human being can do that. There's a whole lot of problems. The second part of that, the Holy Spirit is a force but is not a personal being. (sighs) Fundamental denial of what the New Testament teaches where the Holy Spirit both does things in the New Testament and in the Old Testament as a person. He has the power, wisdom, ability, and function of God in Scripture. So to deny that statement is a denial of biblical teaching. So I think if nothing else, what we're learning going through the survey is a whole lot of Christians don't do a whole lot of Bible reading, (laughs) (laughs) which I think we've kind of known that for a while, but that's one of the benefits of going through this is that you kind of get to see it in action. And again, I think we're through nine questions on this. There are 35. It gets a little bit better, but unfortunately it also gets a little bit worse as we go through this. So we'll keep going through. I will keep putting the answers from the previous weeks in there so you can kind of keep up with them. If you keep up your, with your bulletins, you'll eventually have it all. If you want to look for it yourself, this was a partnership between Ligonier Ministries, which uh, was founded by R.C. Sproul, and Lifeway Research. So you can go digging this up and finding it for yourself if you really want to want to dig through it. If you go to Ligonier's website, they'll actually let you uh, click and put all the controls on there so you could see just what Lutherans think, just what you know uh, Roman Catholics think and all of that and go through all of it. People who never go to church, people go to church every week, all that good stuff. You can, you can play with that as much as you want. All right, any questions? Anything I am forgetting? If there is not, then I'm going to stop talking and go sit down. Well, actually, I'll go stand. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought Since Jesus came into my heart I have life in my soul for which long I have sought Since Jesus came into my heart Since Jesus came into my heart since Jesus came into my heart. Floods of joy o'er my soul like the sea billows roll. 
presence, Jesus came into my heart. I have ceased from my wandering and going astray since Jesus came into my heart. And my sins, which were many, are all washed away since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart, plus the joy o'er my soul like the sea billows roll. Since Jesus came into my heart, I am possessed of a hope that is steadfast and sure. Since Jesus came into my heart, and no dark clouds of doubt now my pathway obscure. Since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy o'er my soul like the sea billows rolled since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Okay, this next one, this is going to be the special. It's one, um, if you hadn't known, I grew up in Arkansas when I was about 14. I'm not sure exactly, but it's somewhere in there. I wrote this song, and um, this is the first time I've really done it for a special in front of a congregation that I know of. And I figured, I ran across it the other day, and I figured we'd try it out. get the right beat there. I got to get it in my head first. Since I became a Christian, I've been happy as can be. Since I met my blessed Savior, I haven't been lonely like I used to be. This is why I have to tell you about our Lord. He has given us more. 
and don't you ask for forgiveness right now. Are you one who likes to keep others from listening to the Holy Word? If you do, then you don't have to worry because you will be paid back on that judgment day this is what I have to tell you about our Lord. He has given us more than we could ask. I don't see the reason why you can serve our Lord or why don't you ask for forgiveness right now? I don't see the reason why you can serve our Lord. Oh, why don't you ask for forgiveness? Right now. Thank you. That was make sure this microphone behaves today. It tried to act up yesterday at a funeral, and that was not helpful at all. But on the good news, fun little thing, you guys are, are privy to something that is a special occasion today. You bear the fruit of something that hasn't happened in four years. How about a new shirt? <laughs> now I have four. I had to. Two of them are falling apart, so I'm going to have two again within the next couple of weeks. So, yeah. The children get all the clothes budget, so every once in a while I was like, no, 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 I have to get a shirt. <laughs> I don't think they're going to appreciate it if I just show up half naked and it's on a Sunday morning. See, nobody wants that. Nobody. Least of all me, because then I'd have to, have to heat up at 80 and then they're all miserable. So, all right. Something productive this morning. We are moving our way through Exodus. We are on chapter 8. It has been one entire week since the water bled, according to the book of Exodus. So we pick up that on the other side. And unfortunately for everyone involved, nothing has changed. And by nothing, I mean nothing and no one. 
So Pharaoh hasn't changed, Moses hasn't changed, Israel hasn't changed, and most importantly, though, for our purposes, God has not changed. Unfortunately for the events of chapter 7, that's the problem in chapter 8, is that nothing has changed. So, in the immortal words of video games when I was a teenager, round two, fight! Because that's what Exodus chapter 8 is. So we will read verses 1 through 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite your whole territory with frogs. The Nile will swarm with frogs, which will come up and go into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and on your people and into your ovens and into your kneading bowls. So the frogs will come upon you and your people and all your servants. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the streams, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. The magicians did the same with their secret arts, making frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he remove the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, The honor is yours to tell me, When shall I entreat for you and your servants and your people that the frogs be destroyed from you and your houses, that they may be left only in the Nile? Then he said, Tomorrow. So he said, May it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will depart from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They will be left only in the Nile. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had inflicted upon Pharaoh. The Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, the courts, and the fields. So they piled them in heaps, and the land became foul. But when Pharaoh saw that there was no relief, I'm sorry, saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Hmm. I forgot to clear that. Elena, can do you remember how to clear that background off of those verses so it's not so distracting and impossible to read. <laughs> if not, we'll survive, but I'm sorry, I forgot. I, normally I clear that out to give you a nice clean background on a, for sermon time, and I just forgot to do that, so. <laughs> bad, bad. Just when you think you got everything right, something, something gets missed. So, all right. Either way, we are back to the beginning. Um, Right-click on the slide, and it'll say add cue and hit clear all, and then click on it again. <laughs> See, do tech support while Bible teaching? Look at this. See, I, I have almost a marketable skill here. Almost. Almost. So, the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. So, Yahweh speaks. Things happen. Get used to this in the book of Exodus. This is where the authority for Moses, Aaron, Pharaoh, and everyone else that's doing anything is going to come from. And this is where Moses is going to rest. This is where Moses will plant his flag. In a nutshell, what the, the, the English, what the consistent refrain of the prophetic testimony of the Old Testament is, thus saith the Lord, if you remember your old King James. Now, this is important because nothing has changed for us. And remember this idea because we're going to come back to it a little bit later on. Second Peter chapter 1. Know this, first of all that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, 
but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. The authority for Moses, the authority for us, is Scripture. That's why we have Bible verses on the screen. That's why I have Bible verses in my notes. That's why we read from a Bible on a Sunday morning. The minute you start hearing my ideas, you know what you're hearing? Pure insanity. I promise you that on a regular basis. I have to live with me. I know the thoughts that come in and out of my brain. You are blessed by the fact that they are guarded and filtered by the word of God. Because if they were not, we'd all hate me as much as I hate me someday. So that'll be okay. Instead, we want to stand firm upon scripture. If we do not, we do not have any authority or right by which we say anything. I talked about this a little bit last week, actually, before the service. We were having this, I was having this conversation with someone. So somebody has heard this once already. I don't remember who. But I said, I have sat through numerous church services and sermons where at the end of it, I looked up and went, I agree with everything that man just said. But I have no reason why I should do anything that he just said. Because he didn't ground it upon an authority outside of his own ideas. We don't ever want to do that, which is why I've told you, if you ever have a problem with something I'm saying in a sermon, I don't want you to come up and argue with me. I want you to come up and argue with what I have said that is wrong based on the text I'm saying it from. So that if you're arguing with what I've said, your disagreement is not with me, it's with scripture. Let's argue about that, not my ideas. When you argue with my ideas, you're right, I give up. When you argue the biblical idea, we fight about that because this is not man's ideas. This is what God has laid down for us. That's the authority of Scripture. It's the authority for Moses here. That's important. Verse 2. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite your whole territory with frogs. We've been waiting for this for the whole book of Exodus, haven't we? We get smiting. I mean, how many people of you want... You can't go with smitten because smitten means something else. So we, we got how many people have you wanted smited in this book? See, isn't English fun? Smitten is good. Smiting is bad. And we wonder why people don't understand our language. We don't understand our language. So we get some judgment of God poured out with frogs. Like, can you, does anybody ever rob a liquor store with a frog? Like, damn, don't make me squeeze him. He's slimy. See, you're laughing because this is ridiculous. Like, uh, what's, uh, what's the movies? Like, who throws a shoe? Who smites with frogs? People use frogs for this? Yes. Remember what we talked about last week? If you don't remember what we talked about last week, good news. I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> no, no. I am taking, I am taking Frogger on. No, if you come at me with a frog, I am not handing over the money. No, we, we are fighting that one out. That's just, yeah, we... There's, there is enough manhood left within me that if you come at me with a frog, we're going. No, I, I think I can take you and the frog. So yeah, the judgment of God. Remember, we're smiting now, so this is judgment in action. The judgment of God is not your dad driving down the highway just trying to get somebody in the back seat. I don't care who did it. Somebody's going to get it. That is not the judgment of God. The judgment of God is precise, it is measured, and it is always appropriate. When we see that, we see this in the ten plagues against Egypt, because what we're seeing here, just like we saw with the attack on the Nile River, the Nile was viewed as a deity. The Nile flooding was the sustenance of life for Egypt. God attacked that directly by doing what to their God? He made it bleed. And as we joked, we quoted the great theologian Arnold Schwarzenegger, if it bleeds, we can kill it. That's part of what's going on. That continues here. The Egyptian fertility goddess Hekek. 
and I don't know if I'm saying that correct or not. I don't really care. I don't speak Egyptian, and I don't really want to. So Egyptian goddess of fertility was associated with childbirth and the Nile flood, because if you're going to be part of fertility in Egypt at this time, you've got to be something to do with the flood, because without the flood, the ground is a desert and nothing grows there. was part of the Egyptian origin story. So not only a goddess of childbirth and crops, but also a goddess explaining where the Egyptians thought that they came from. Part of the creation, the replication, and the sustaining of the nation itself. Now, who wants to guess what the symbol of Heket was? It was a frog. They had little frog medallions. They had little frog heads on staffs. It, you know, like little tchotchkes, like when you go to the airport and you get a keychain. Same, same deal. You go to the temple, you get your little Heket symbol. Symbol was the frog. Now, who is the giver of life and God of the womb? Is it Heket? No, it is Yahweh, Lord of Israel. Genesis chapter 30 makes this point. When Rachel saw that she bore no children to Jacob, she became jealous of her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And one of the few times Jacob really gets things right, his anger burned against Rachel and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Jacob can't give you children. Who decides who has children? God does. God does. And we've actually seen this already if you rewind to chapter 1 in the book of Exodus, chapter 1 again. The sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. Who did that? God did that. And the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more Israel what? The more they grew, the more they multiplied, the more of them there were. Who's doing that? God is doing that. So once again, we are attacking the pantheon of Egypt. We are demonstrating that God is God, that Yahweh is Lord, not whatever it is you have concocted. So what's the warning here? Verses 3 and 4. The Nile will swarm with frogs. They will come up into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants and your people, into your ovens and into your kneading bowls. The frogs will come upon you and your people and all your servants. All right, who got left out there? You, your people, your servants, your everybody. Give me the money or else I'm going to squeeze him. There's, there's, the, there's the warning right there. Verse 5. The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff. So here's our staff, and we're stretching it out. Over the rivers, over the streams, over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. Did you notice the connection to last week into the previous chapter? Where did the smiting of the blood come upon? It was just the Nile River, right? No. It was the Nile and all the... All the, all the, 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 the all the waters of Egypt, the pools, the bowls, the cups, you name it. The only thing God left was groundwater. If you wanted water, you had to get out a shovel and go digging for something. The mercy of God there. We're carrying over that language here, showing that while God has had that control before over the water itself, he now has control over what happens within that water and what comes out of that water. No one is left out by verses 3 and 4. And here, nothing and no place is left out by verses 5 and 6. Why? What are we demonstrating? A lesson that Israel learned. Deuteronomy chapter 10, a speech of Moses before Israel enters the land. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. 
Psalm 24 makes the same point. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Which goes back to your foundational Bible verse. The one you should know is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Not Heketh, not her husband, not anybody else. God has done this. And God is using the frogs as a symbol of this Egyptian goddess to demonstrate that power and to prove that you think the frogs are on your side. No, the frogs ultimately answer to who? God, just like everybody else. Verse 7. The magicians did the same with their secret arts, making frogs come up on the land of Egypt. All right, we covered this last week. So Aaron stretches out his staff, and all the rivers of Egypt have turned to blood. Blood, blood. We covered that. I'm not going to do it again. So the, the magicians go digging in the groundwater and find some water that's drinkable, and then they, by their tricks, turn it into blood. Now, despite the fact that that's just insanely insane, did that help any? Like, all the water's blood. We can't drink it. Here's some drinking water. Watch this. Now it's blood. Moron, we needed to drink that water, not for you to turn it into blood. See, not helping. The real power for the magicians would have been to what? Turn the bloody water back into water. But we didn't do that. So once again, the magicians help this situation immensely by doing what? Oh, yeah? You can make frogs. Watch this. Open the bag. Frogs! Our problem is not that we don't have enough frogs. Our problem is that we have frogs where? Everywhere. Like, years ago when I was um, a high school senior, we took a trip to the Rachel Carson Estuaries, protected uh, brackish waters of North Carolina where I can't even remember which river. It's Cape Fear River maybe. I don't know. And it meets the uh, Albemarle Sea, so where freshwater meets saltwater. And we just happened to be there during the – I don't know if it's mating season or molting season of these crabs that are about this big. And for this entire low tide area, I mean, it's like a square mile. They just covered the ground. It was just, and I was carrying this cooler because we were walking across, and I felt, because you're walking, and it's like, and for the most part, they would scatter on you, but every once in a while, they wouldn't. It's like, oh, I just stepped on like 10 of these things. Yeah, and it's, I mean, that's frogs right now. Can you, can you? And they don't squeak when you step on them like they're supposed to when they're a dog toy. These things are like, I don't know what they're doing. And so the answer is, oh, yeah, we'll prove you don't have any power to make frogs because we will we'll make frogs. See? See what we did there? Again, real power would have been to do what? Make the frogs go away. So are they helping? No. Are they deceiving? Yes. And that's the point. The sinful heart does what? It sins. Sinful hearts sin. This is the problem of the sinful heart. Let's tell you a story from the New Testament. Uh, Acts chapter 8. There was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria. So he's doing like the David Blaine street tricks. Claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying... This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. 
reason I read you this story is if you want to know the difference between a true convert and a false convert, go look at the life of Simon. Uh, Simon Magus, Simon's magician, because he's going along with Philip. He's being baptized. He's claiming, but why is he going along? What was the point of his magic act? Did you catch it? You'd think he was making money, but the money wasn't mentioned. Attention was mentioned. I'm a big deal. I'm important. I do the trick and everybody, ooh, ah, good job, yay. Look, it's Simon, look, oh. So as he's going along with Philip, now who's getting the attention? Philip is, and what is Philip doing with it? Philip's just reveling in it like Simon was, right? No, Philip is pointing people back to Christ, doing what you're supposed to be doing. When Peter comes along, and because he's one of the apostles and the Holy Spirit falls upon these converts, Simon sees that and says what? I want to be able to do that. And he started getting his wallet out. Wait a minute, dude. No, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. So Peter curses him and tells him, you better pray to God for forgiveness and repent of that. And he says, well, you pray for me. That's not how this works either. Was Simon a convert? No, he's a false prophet. He's a false teacher. He's following along because he likes the show. He likes the act. That's why we don't try to put on a show in church. Because I don't want you to like the show. Well, I better not say that. I mean, I want you to like me a little bit. I want you to be slightly entertained because you'll follow along better. But if you're here for the entertainment, guess what you're here for? The wrong reason. I want you to be here because we're actually going through Scripture and learning something and applying it to our lives and growing in our faith. That's the actual goal of discipleship. Now, can we have fun while we do that? Yes. But is the fun the point? No. Simon shows you what this looks like wrongly. Welcome to the magicians of Egypt. Nothing has changed with any of these people. They want the show. Why are we here turning the one little bit of water we can drink into blood to prove we can do this? Because we're just as special as he is. Why are we letting the frogs out of the bag, literally, so that we can pretend like we can make frogs out of thin air? So that we can be special just like he is. See, we have power too. Look at us. Are we helping any? Are we paying attention to what's going on around us? No. Are we giving cause for great evil to come upon the people? Yes. That's wrong. Very, very wrong. And you can see that. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he remove the frogs from me, from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Huh? Well, that was quick. If that's all it took, why didn't we start with the frogs? <laughs> like, apparently, if you go into the liquor store with the frog, Pharaoh would hand over the money. Like, all right, okay, you got a frog. You look now. It'll be okay. Now remember, magicians are doing what they're doing. Why? Because they're unrepentant sinners. Why is Pharaoh doing what he's doing? Exact same reason. Remember the heart of the person we're dealing with here. Jeremiah 17, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Just like Simon, just like the magicians, we have a problem with Pharaoh, and the problem is not his actions, because where do his actions come from? inside. See, this is why from the very beginning, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, fellowship with God, faith in God has never been based upon outward action. Because it can't be because outward action does not define you. We utilize it because that's all we have. Like, I can't do the Vulcan mind meld and be like, oh, you are thinking, oh, where's the sanitizer? I can't do that. But who can do that? 
God does that. And he doesn't need the Vulcan mind meld thing. He doesn't need Spock doing the hamana hamana hamana. He, he, he just knows. This is the warnings that we have. What flows out of you isn't what determines you. What you are at your core determines who and what you are. And it then demonstrates itself flowing out. That's why Christianity isn't do better and God will heal you. No, it's God has healed you. Therefore, you are capable of doing better. We spur to good works and we encourage Christian living not so that God will love you, but because he already has. And if you are incapable of doing these things, it is because he has not loved you and you should be afraid and you should worry. There's a difference between those two statements. This is why we also get the warnings we get in the New Testament. Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name cast out demons. In your name perform many miracles. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I think it's the King James actually like that translation better. You who practice iniquity. Just, just sounds like more of a punch in the face. But I'm weird. Sometimes I like the old words a little bit better. It's a warning. From the outside, all of those people looked good, didn't they? From the outside, Simon looked good, didn't he? He's following along with Philip. He's being amazed at all the signs he loves. This is awesome. Look, this is great. Look at what's going on. Ooh, teach me how to do that. I can't teach you how to do the Holy Spirit's job. Guess who does the Holy Spirit's job? The Holy Spirit. And as the third member of the Trinity, you know, you know God, do we control him? Do we direct him? No, he directs. He controls. This is why, as we mentioned last week, two steps to our evaluation. Made a big deal out of it last week. I mentioned it when we started here. It's been a week since the water turned to blood. Why was that the case? Because Pharaoh needs to stew. Because you know when you really find out who you are? When you're by yourself. See, when people are watching, you're something. You're one thing. It's when you're by yourself in the middle of nowhere with you and your thoughts that all of a sudden what comes out? You. This is, again, the warning why we need the fellowship of the saints, why we need the one another's of the New Testament, why we need to walk in Christian community. Because you know what that does over time? It reveals and refines the real you. It shows you because you're around people go, ooh, that wasn't good. And when you're a false convert, you go, stop judging me. When the Holy Spirit's working on you, you go, I know, help me stop it. Help me fight this. There's, there's a walking, there's a working together. This is part of the evaluation. Pharaoh has been sitting there for a week thinking about what happened, what he did. I mean, what else has he got to think about? He's not digging wells. He's got people that do that sort of thing. He's watching them dig wells going, how did we get here? Like, Moses was here, and I told him no, and I increased the work, and then he came back. I told him no again, and next thing I know, I got a bleeding river. <sighs> okay, let me go through this again. Moses was here, and I told him no when he left, All right, and I increased the work. Like, Maybe that's where I went wrong. No, 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 I, that was a good thing. No, I should have increased the work. See, he's got to do what now? You've done this. You evaluate every last little bit. Now, what's missing? What's missing in that evaluation? There's a couple things missing, actually. What does Christian evaluation look like? Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. There's the first thing Pharaoh's missing. Who's doing the searching in Pharaoh's world? Pharaoh is. Who's, who's evaluating? We mentioned this last week. He is not an island unto himself in this world, but how does he act? An island unto himself in this world, and you can't function like that. No. Search me, O God, and know my heart. 
Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any hurtful way in me. Now, this is good. As Christians, we're encouraged to do this. No, here's the problem. The world will tell you to do this too. How you treat others. This is part of the problem we have in the world is we are so hypersensitive to how other people react to things. You know what we sacrifice? Everything else. We sacrifice the truth. We sacrifice Christian testimony as long as we don't upset anybody because that is the highest form of something in this planet is I'm offended. You can't do that anymore. That's where the world stops. Where does Christian evaluation continue? And lead me in the everlasting way. That's the ending of Psalm 139. Christian thinking, Christian introspection is not to just evaluate and see where we went wrong. It's to evaluate and do what? Find where we're supposed to be going rightly. It's to eliminate the problem, not so that we can say, look, I conquered that problem and I stepped on it and I'm done. Well, how are we going to make sure we don't do that again? Well, we're actually going to walk in a righteous path that God has laid out. That's the second half of that. How do I know I'm walking on that path rightly? Well, there are other believers doing what? Walking the same road. Like the minute you find yourself on the highway by yourself as a Christian, you know what you should do? Worry. Because <laughs> all of a sudden it's like, where'd everybody go? Hmm. You know what I need to do? I need to go, go retrace my steps, get back on the main road, and then do what? Follow it. This is Christian living. Again, not so that God will be pleased, but because he already is. Because here's the difference between us and them. Does the unbeliever recognize that they're on the road by themselves? No. See, the fact that you did was a good thing. That's the Holy Spirit doing his job and you listening. That's a good start. That's not you going along doing your own thing. That's you recognizing that I have messed something up here somewhere. And now, by the grace of God, I can actually get back to where I'm supposed to be. And he will light, He will lead me. He will guide me. He will direct me. He will put me on the path. And then he will work to keep me there. All of that is missing. And that is why you see the waffling that you see from Pharaoh. We haven't used this in a while. Remember our illustration? What does Christian living do? What does being grounded in Scripture give you? As you are anchored, what does the world do? It goes back and forth. And if you do not have the anchor of Scripture, what do you start to do? They sweep this way, and oh, we're going this way. Wait a minute, I don't want to be over there. I liked it where I was over here. Okay, here we go. And when they come sweeping back the other way, what do you do? Ah, wait a minute. You have, no, you have no mechanism. You have no anchor. To, so you just, for the rest of your days, I mean, think about it. Um, ladies over 30, don't you have clothes that were in style when you were younger that have come back? That's just the silliness of the world. It's a silly example, but there's the world. Because what does it do? Oh, we love this item of clothing. Now we hate it. Guess what we're going to do in 10 years? We love it again, and now we hate it. And now we love it again, and now we hate it. Welcome to Worldviews. I did this when I was an education student. My bachelor's degree is social studies education. I went to school to teach high school history. Don't ask me why. <laughs> I had a screw loose. Well, I have a couple of screws loose, but that one was apparently really bad that day. Well, one of, this, one of the guys in my, um, one of my senior seminar classes, his mother was a public school teacher in Maryland and had been a public school teacher in Maryland for 25 years. And so we're sitting there with, our, with this new methods book, and he went home for a uh, fall break and brought all his stuff with him. Now, keep in mind, we got these brand new books, and it's, this is the new methods of education. You know, this is the stuff you got to learn. You got to unlearn all the stuff you did in school because that's bad. This is the way we're going to teach it now. And he brought it to his mother, and she goes, I remember that. That's the stuff they tried to give me when I was a student. And she went and got her books out, and you know what it was? It was the exact same stuff. 
we were doing that stuff in the early 70s. When the 80s and 90s came about, that stuff was bad. And so we threw it all out the window. And now that it was the late 90s, early 2000s, you know what we're doing? We're doing that stuff again. And then like 20 minutes after I graduated, you know what I found out? That stuff was all bad again. And we had, you know what we pulled back out of mothballs? The stuff from the 80s. And then when that was bad again, you know what we're going to pull out of mothballs? And here we go, back and forth. The Christian has an anchor. We have a word from God. It guides us, it directs us, it holds us. But it doesn't do that if we are not thinking through it and applying it in day-to-day lives. And this is the danger of the world, because even though we're anchored, you ever seen a boat on an anchor? It just doesn't move, right? What happens when the tide, I mean, I suppose we Whenever we go, Cameron and I go on vacation occasionally. We haven't done it in a few years with her parents. They go to the same lake every year. It's a beautiful little place. But my father-in-law has a boat that you can water ski behind. And it's always so fun because you know which way the wind is blowing because there's no current in the lake. But all the boats are all facing the same way because they get anchored by the nose, and then the wind blows, and they're all going that way. Oh, the wind's coming from that way. And so we know when the weather's coming and when bad weather's coming because of the way it goes. And then all of a sudden, middle of the day, all the boats turn. They're anchored, but they still do what? They still move a little bit. Welcome to you living in the world. This is why we get the correctives we do of Scripture. Because while we're anchored, we still occasionally do what? And we're pulling on it, but then, okay, wait a minute. No, I'm good. I didn't go anywhere. The drift of the world is constantly trying to get you to untie the anchor. Constantly. And we fall for it on occasion. That's why all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute. I was attached to something. Go back to it. Yes, 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 yes. That's something we're supposed to be doing daily. Like breathing. What do I do? I bring scripture to bear. I think through it. I don't forsake it. When we fail to bring scripture to an argument, when we fail to bring our Christian worldview to an argument, what we're saying is, I'm unarmed. Like, I don't even have a frog. I'm just me, like, pretending I have frogs to squeeze at you. I have nothing. We've left the sword at home. Why would you go to battle without your sword? See, that just sounds ridiculous, but guess what we do on a regular basis? We're told if you're going to run for office or you're going to work at a business, that you can't do that as a Christian. You have, to, you have to be something else first. I can't be something else first. I have to actually be Christian and do this as a Christian. If I don't, you know what I'm no longer being? I'm no longer being a Christian. Now that's going to look different for every person in every job. But guess who has to figure out what that looks like at your job? You do. Guess who has to figure out what that looks like in your family? You do. I mean, some of us have children we're trying to raise as we do this. Some of you have grandchildren you're trying to influence. Some of you are just looking at the neighbor going, it applies for every individual life. But it starts with what? Making sure the anchor is strong, making sure you're tethered to it, and then thinking through, all right, how do I, as a Christian, following the worldview that the Bible has given me, how do I evaluate what's going wrong and then figure out how do I get myself and the people I'm leading back on the right highway? Welcome to what is completely missing from the book of Exodus. So we'll come back to that idea in a minute. Verse 9, Moses said to Pharaoh, The honor is yours to tell me, when shall I entreat for you and your servants and your people that the frogs be destroyed from you and your houses, that they may be left only in the Nile? Notice who Moses doesn't leave out. See, Pharaoh doesn't care, does he? Pharaoh doesn't care where the frogs are. He just doesn't want them anymore. What does Moses make a point to mention? 
When shall I entreat the Lord that the, for you, for your servants, for your people, that the frogs be taken from you and from your houses? Moses leaves everybody in there, and notice what else he's doing. How hard would this be? I mean, if Moses' plan was, all right, when everybody goes to bed, we'll go out there with some nets and some brooms, and we'll just sweep them away, and then we'll claim God did it. Good plan, right? That's, that's how we'll do this. If that's your plan, what do you not do? Well, when do you want this to happen? Because <laughs> if you've got it planned out how it's going to happen, you know what you don't want the other guy doing? Telling you when to do it, because he can be watching out and looking. So Moses is making this as hard as humanly possible, which is something that the prophets of God end up making a habit. One of my, one of my favorite New, Te- uh, New Testament, one of my favorite Bible reminders is First uh, Kings chapter 18. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many. Call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the ox which was given to them, and they prepared it, and called the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us! But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leapt about the altar which they had made, and it came about noon. Could you imagine that for a day, for, for an entire morning, sitting there on the top of the mountain, waiting for fire to come out of the sky, so while, while these fools jump around and scream? See, we don't think about it like that, but that's literally what's going on here. And they leapt at the end of the, it came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Maybe he's occupied, or maybe he's gone aside, or he's on a journey. Maybe he's asleep and you need to wake him up. Now, the, the NASB doesn't do that justice because what Elijah literally says, he doesn't say occupied. He says occupied as in when you turn the, the handle on the porta potty and it says occupied on the other side. He literally tells them, maybe your God is in the bathroom. Shout louder. He can't hear you. He's busy. I mean, there's, there's a history of mockery. Now, when it comes time for Elijah, what does he do? At the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah's all day without evening. The prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back again. See, before he did that, what did he do to his offering? Remember, he's waiting for fire. Pours water on it three times. Like, drench it. And what does God do? Consumes the whole thing. The offering, the altar, all of it. Elijah was not worried, was he? No, because there is a God who is in heaven, and your dude ain't him. So I will mock him, I will scorn him, and I will call you stupid for what you're doing because this is ridiculous. You'll actually see the same thing in Isaiah, where Isaiah is describing the work of the uh, idol maker, how he cuts down a tree, and part of it he cooks his food, and part of it he makes a cabinet out of, and then part of it he makes an idol. And he takes the idol, and he puts it on the shelf, and then he prays to it to do something. Well, who cut down the tree? You did. Who's got the power in this relationship? You did. Who put him on the mantle? You did. Why? And Isaiah literally says, that's just dumb. What's the rule? Yeah, don't do dumb things. I haven't, haven't covered that in a while. I'm going to make sure we can. There's a fly right there. You saw it, right? I'm not imagining these things. The bugs are attacking. <laughs> One of them escapes. No, I need that idea. Come back. <laughs> so, Moses setting down the tradition. No, who do we trust? We trust God. Who's going to accomplish this? God is. When's he going to do it? You tell me. That way you'll know that who did this, that God did. So Pharaoh said, tomorrow. If you're an Egyptian, when would you have wanted Pharaoh to say? 
Yes, like, right, dude, I can't even cook bread. They're in the kneading bowl. They're eating my flour. They're sliming the oven. What are you supposed to do? Go to bed with the frogs tonight? I mean, can you imagine how much fun that evening's going to be? You got to take the blankets back, sweep the frogs out, put the blanket back, get the frogs off the top of the blanket. I mean, you imagine, you think your kids are having a hard time going to sleep now. I can't sleep. It's hot. I can't sleep. There's 47 frogs in my bed. Did you count them? Yes. Twice. <laughs> I mean, I mean, because... Because frogs are so quiet at night. <laughs> See, there's the other part. Like, even if you get them out of the house and you get them all out in the street, thousands of them. No. Why are we waiting until tomorrow? Pharaoh has a character that he's displaying. Exodus 7, go back to last week. Pharaoh turned and went into his house with no concern even for this. The this was the water has been turned to blood. If you're in charge of a bunch of people and their water is now blood, should you be worried? You should be. Is Pharaoh worried? I got people that dig wells. You'll be all right. <laughs> Proverbs 16. A divine decision is in the lips of the king. His mouth should not err in judgment. A just balance in scales belongs to the Lord, and all the weights of the bag are his concern. It is an abomination for kings to commit wicked acts, for a throne is established on righteousness. Proverbs 25. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. Catch this. But the glory of kings is to search out a matter. You're in charge. What's your job? Know what's going on, but more importantly, know what else. To know just what's going on or to know why it's going on. See, that's the glory of the king, to search out the righteousness that God is performing, to search out the acts that God is doing. You may be saying, well, I'm not a king. I don't care. You have a household. You have things that you are in charge of. Your job in wisdom is to seek out what is God doing in these things, how is he demonstrating his righteousness? How should I glorify him? Whether that's calamity like we talked about last week or just your day-to-day -day life. How do I lead my children and train them in righteousness? How do I encourage my household in righteousness? How do I go to my workplace and instill and display righteousness? That's my job to figure out how to do these things. That's the glory of the leader. Is the Pharaoh a good leader under that standard? Not even close which is the second reason why this demonstration in these plagues is so big and so long. Part of learning about what's going on is figuring out who you want to root for. I mean, you ever see those arguments on social media where you, you come into the middle of it, and it's like, wait a minute, time out. I need background. Whose side am I on? <laughs> like, they're arguing about something. They're fighting about something. I need somebody to root for. See, my wife does this to me all the time with football games. She's like, who's supposed to win? But that she, because she doesn't care who's playing, she wants to know what, who's supposed to win, so I can root for the other team, because <laughs> that's just how she's wired. That's the first question: Who's supposed to win? When I see two people arguing, wait a minute, wait, a minute. I need history. I need to know who's right. I need to know who's wrong. I need to know what side I'm on. Welcome to what Scripture is demonstrating here. One of these sides is a wicked abomination, and one of these sides is the righteous King of creation. It's being demonstrated. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to wonder. You didn't flip on Facebook and somebody's got a video that started in the middle of it. And you're going, well, why is that lady screaming at that poor man? What happened? Like, I need, I need answers. No, you know what's going on and you know why it's going on. 
God is demonstrating the battle from the very beginning so that when this battle gets to the conclusion, you're not sitting there going, why did this happen? Why is there an angel of death and a Passover? When we get there, you're going to go, why is there an angel of, pass- an angel of death and a Passover so long coming? Why, like, why didn't we do this weeks ago? That's the goal of what's going on here, is, is drawing this out to demonstrate the wickedness and the selfish idolatry of the Egyptians, specifically Pharaoh, and the righteous, righteousness and patience of God in being long-suffering with everything that's going on. So Moses said, May it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will depart from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They will be left only in the Nile. We're being specific here, aren't we? You said tomorrow? Tomorrow it is. Does Moses have any doubt or worry here? No. Did Elijah have any doubt or worry standing on Mount Carmel? No. When you are speaking on behalf of God, that's the standard that God has provided. Deuteronomy chapter 18. The prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Literally, the prescription was, if you claim to be a prophet from God and you say something and it doesn't happen, everybody in town gets to pick up rocks and hit you with them. That's just the standard for what it is. You may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has spoken? See, that's a good question. Before I go executing everybody in town for speaking wrongly, I want a standard. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. See, this is part of the problem. Does anybody remember what was it, the uh, the 88 reasons that Jesus was coming back in 1988? See, now I don't know a lot of things, but I, I know that 2020 is after 1988. Do you know how many millions of books that guy sold in 1989 when he wrote a second book? 89 reasons why the Lord is coming back in 1989. And people, millions of those copies were, like, you were wrong in 88. You know what we now know? You don't speak for God. I mean, an entire radio ministry. Remember the, oh, what year was it? um, Harold Camping just did this in the last 10 years. It's going to be March, guys. Jesus is coming back. Everything is going to end. It was like March of 2012 or something like that. I can't remember exactly. March 2012 came and went. Guess what? Well, see, Jesus secretly came back in March. He's really coming back in October. And I am not kidding you. There were people all over this country, Christians going, they were selling property, getting ready for October because, oh, it was a secret in March. We missed it. I'm sorry. They sold houses. They sold cars. They cashed out retirements. And guess what happened in October? Well, since we're all still here in 2012, we know what happened in October. Nothing. I'm behaving. Nothing happened. Was that the end of that ministry? It should have been, but it wasn't. And it never is. It never is. They always do this. That's why, just for fun, don't do it for a long time, because if you're like me, it makes your blood pressure rise, and it's no good for you. Watch those, watch those charlatan healing shows on TBN for like five minutes. Have you ever noticed, like, I, I, I'm reaching out, and I, there, there's someone with a leg problem, and, and, and you're healed. What, what is that? What do you mean a leg problem? What is this? I'm I'm condemning. Okay, look now, microphone. Behave. I, I didn't. Hang it. Can I put my hands right here? 
I, I, I know I move around a lot, but I'm not moving around that much. <sighs> I've been much worse. No, see, I have said this. If you want to bring me a faith healer, I have one simple requirement. You claim that you speak and God heals. Let's go to the children's hospital. We can all get behind that idea, right? Let's go down to the children's hospital. When you empty out a floor, I'll believe you. Until you do that, where's my heavy rock? Because that's the standard you want to uphold. See, this is what we should... Now, this is, again, why can I say that so, so just clearly? Because I'm standing where? On what God has given me as the standard. And when we do that, just like Moses, just like Elijah, we can be precise and we can be correct. Now, notice the difference between what I'm doing and what Moses and Elijah did. Where did Elijah get his idea from? He got it from God, and how did he get it? Directly. Moses got his idea from God. How did he get it? Directly. Like, voice in the sky, burning bush the whole nine yards. Guess where I got my idea from? I got my idea from God. Guess how I got it? From the word that he has given me. See, how can we be sure that we are speaking precisely and correctly and speaking on behalf of God? We do it by standing. I told you we'd come back to this idea. We do it by standing on the foundation that is built by his word. Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. If you, uh, if you did the old uh, Baptist State Convention Bible drill, they used to, I think they still do this. I don't know. If the scripture memorization for children, that's like one of the first ones they learn. It's the first thing. Your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Because everything we do as Christians should be based upon what? Scripture. Second Timothy 2. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. How? How can I do that? Accurately handling the word of truth. More specifically, the way it should be translated, rightly dividing the word of truth. What was Paul's job outside of an evangelist? What did he do on the side? He made tents. Rightly dividing. You ever done this with fabric? You got to cut what? A straight line. What happens when you're cutting fabric and you get off by a quarter of an inch at the very beginning? Yeah. What happens a yard down the measurement? Oh, we've 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 got we got it. We're throwing that away and we got to start over. You do this well, when when piloting a boat. They tell you to do what? Pick out something as far away as you can see and do what? Aim at that. Because what happens if you look over the nose of the boat? <laughs> yeah, you're doing this. They, when you learned how to drive, where did they tell you to look? Look down the road, because if you look right over the nose of the car, you, and what seems like a small, like you move the you move the tire, you move the steering wheel that much, and what happens to the car after a half a mile? We can't even see the road anymore. That's what Paul's telling Timothy: cut it straight, rightly divide. Because if you get off just a little bit, what happens down the line? We're doomed. He continues to Timothy in the next chapter. All Scripture is inspired by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. You don't need anything else. You want to do the good works that God has prepared for you? Know your word. You want to train people in how to live a godly life? Know the word. You want to walk as a disciple? Know the word. See, put those three verses together. Psalm 119, first, uh, first, uh, 2 Timothy 2 and uh, 2 Timothy 3. God's word guides me. It's a lamp unto my feet. A light into my path. And when, the, when I write and l- rightly understand and read the word, I have no shame or fear. Why is that the case? Because I have been provided with the means to do the kingdom work that God has called me to. That's what he's explaining. 
have no fear or shame because you rightly divide the word. Why? Because when you rightly divide the word, you have everything you need for training, for correcting, for rebuke, for all of that. You will be adequate and you will be equipped for every good work. You, will, you don't need another tool in your toolbox. You have it. Why is it when we go into the public square we think we got to bring something else? Why is it when we try to lead our lives we try to lean on any other philosophy? This is the argument I was just having with the uh, Illinois Baptist State Association. Is they're borrowing from the world. They're borrowing from something called critical race theory and intersectionality. And they're trying to use it to understand sociology. And they're going to fail miserably. You know why? Because critical race theory and intersectionality deny scripture and import something other than a biblical idea to understand you, me, and how we relate to one another. I won't try to go into all of it. If you want me to at the end of the service, you can ask me and I'll explain it all to you. I have no problems. And I told our executive director, it's dangerous because once you get off by a little bit right here at the beginning, when do you get back on the road? And if we know we're off just a little bit at the beginning, what should we do? This. Like, like when you're doing that, when, when you're sewing, you're quilting, you're doing anything like that because Cameron does both of those at the house. If she, may, if she gets off by that little bit on the cut, you know what she does? She stops. <laughs> once she realizes she's messed up, you know, she stops. And then you see, can I still use this? Can I fix this? Did I mess up in the right direction, you know? You don't sit there and go, oh, man, I messed up and I'm off on this cut of fabric, you know? Ah, you don't finish out the cut. That would be dumb. What's the rule? Don't do dumb things. No, we stop once we realize we're wrong. So once we understand we're off just a little bit, no, 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 return. This is Psalm 139 again. Examine, understand, and return to the word, and then follow what? Follow in that everlasting way again, because now that I know what's right, I can follow after it. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had inflicted upon Pharaoh. Did you notice we didn't wait? When are the frogs going to be removed? Tomorrow. Does Moses have to pray tomorrow? No, Moses will walk out and go, God, tomorrow take care of these frogs. We're good. There's no doubt. There's no wondering. Why? First John 5. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, we know he hears us. We already know this isn't going to be the last play. We already know this isn't going to be the end. We already know that God's going to take the frogs away. So does Moses have to worry about it? No. That's why he told Pharaoh, you tell me when, I'll tell God. God will do it. And that's just how this will work. So the Lord did, verse 13, according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, the courts, and the fields, and they piled them in heaps, and the land became foul. At that point, you think everybody's going, you know. The only thing worse than... One thing to hear it. Now what does everybody have to do? <laughs> yeah. So all those 47 frogs that were in your kid's bed yesterday, now they're dead in the living room. Along with the 47 frogs that were in your bed, and the 48 frogs that were in the other kid's bed, and the 28 frogs that were in the living room, and the 25 frogs that were in the kitchen. And now there's a big pile of dead frogs in the living room, and we're sweeping them out into the street. And here's the problem. I wonder if God gave them a good breeze that day. Like, like, wouldn't you know it, that was the day the breeze just, like, there was no wind. And everybody's just like, oh. Now, this is important because this makes some connections for us. Why did God do this for Moses? See, he doesn't do this for the faith healer. That's why they're not at the children's hospital clearing out a wing. He does this for Moses because of who Moses is and who Moses is supposed to represent. And I don't just mean God as in, in this instance with Pharaoh. Deuteronomy chapter 18 again. 
the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. This is Moses speaking. You shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the, on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. That's when God comes down on the mountain for the Ten Commandments, and the, the, the thunder and the lightning and the quaking and the shaking and all that, and everybody goes, um, we don't want to talk to him, you go. And Moses says, that was good. And God said, that was good. So what's the warning here? The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. What made Moses special as a prophet? Help you out. The Lord said, they've spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among your countrymen like you. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Now, if you fast forward to the end of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, Joshua has to fill in the gaps here. So Joshua... The son of Nun was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. And the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. So Joshua is the perfect replacement for Moses, right? Hold on. Since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants and his lands, and for all the mighty power, for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. See, what made Moses special as the prophet? He did all these signs. He performed all of these wonders. You had no doubt who Moses was and who Moses represented. Joshua has inherited the mantle of leadership, but is Joshua a prophet like that? No. Does Joshua speak to God face to face? No. When Joshua is commanded to go in to take the promised land, the angel of the Lord comes down. He does not see the glory of the Lord. God does not meet him at the tent of meeting. That is a different relationship. What made Moses so important was that Moses becomes the type. We've talked about this before. He is the shadow of the things that are to come. Just like you go all the way back to the garden, what's promised? There's a son coming from the woman who will crush sin. Is Moses that son? No. There is a prophet coming that if you disobey his voice, God will require judgment upon you. Is Moses that prophet? No. Who is that prophet? Christ is that prophet. Who is the son of the woman who crushes sin? It is Jesus, who is a prophet, who knows God, explains God, teaches all that God has commanded, and is the one who, with whom you must listen to. It is Jesus. Moses is what we call a type of Christ. He's a picture of the work that Christ will do. That is why when Moses said, Lord, take these frogs out tomorrow, God went, frogs gone tomorrow. Because he's a picture of the work that will come. And when Christ intercedes on our behalf, what do we know without a shadow of a doubt? that the Father hears, that we are walking and we are secure. We are. This is important because this is showing the connections that are being built in the Old Testament to what is coming in the New Testament. So, piled them in heaps, verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not listen to them as the Lord had said. See, this is why I didn't give any credit to Pharaoh when he said, all right, all right, get the frogs out of here and I'll let you go. Because he doesn't care. He's the kid right now, Pharaoh. Pharaoh's not sorry he did something. You know what he's sorry about? He's sorry he got caught. He's not sorry that he didn't listen to God. He's sorry that there's frogs everywhere. Once you get rid of the frogs, and you get some people with some air fresheners, and you spray some Lysol in the palace, I don't care anymore. There's no more frogs. There's no more smell. The water's flowing. Life is good again. Somebody go dig me another well just in case. I mean, this is the difference. 
What is Pharaoh demonstrating about himself? He's demonstrating the exact truth that we warned about. Someone who's waffling back and forth. <coughs> the person going back and forth, doing this, that, and the other. He's demonstrating the same thing as Simon the magician. Ooh, ooh, yes, yes, give me, give me power. Give me, give me authority. Give me, give me wisdom. Give me acclaim. Give me eyeballs watching me. Give me everything but what? God. See, this is the lie we tell in salvation. Do you know what you receive in salvation? God. That's when you're like, what's going to be in heaven? I don't care. You know who I know is going to be there? God is going to be there. Like the, the lie of the blessings of everything else and, the, and the, the, the candy to children that we try to give out to, to, to trick you into Christianity is just that. It, it, it's, it's a trick. Now, are there earthly blessings? Sometimes. Are there earthly hardships? Sometimes. What's the thing you go towards? You go towards God. If Christ is not the prize you seek in Christianity, you are not seeking Christianity. You are seeking something else. Jesus warned about this in Luke 9. All these people come and said, I'll follow you. And Jesus tells them, and they go, oh, I got an excuse. And off they go. And what's the punchline? Jesus said, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom. See, this is what we're doing when we walk. This is why we can be anchored. And this is why we can do the evaluation and follow the everlasting way. Is because in Christ, we have put our hand to the plow. And we have forsaken the things of this world. If we have not, if we have not forsaken the things of this world, and we are still living for the things of this world, you know what we haven't actually done? Put our hands to the plow and actually gone to work. And it's a farming reference, because how many of you ever actually like tilled a garden? That'd be the closest example. You, you get the tiller going, because like, granted, they're using oxen and you know the split plow, and that's an even harder job. But can you just fire that tiller up and send it out and start looking behind what you're doing? What happens when you do that? <laughs> See, you're laughing because you've done that at some point. You start turning into, ah! Or you end up with a father like mine when I was a kid, and it was always entertaining when we drove down the highway, because you know what my dad looked at when he drove? Everything but the highway. Everything but the highway. I knew where every tree, barn, cow, house, raindrop. I kid you not, he bought Rain-X for the first time and put it on the windshield. And we were driving in the rain. And he wouldn't turn the windshield wipers on. And was sitting there driving in the rain, showing me how the water beaded up and rolled down the windshield. And he's like, there's a road and a wheel. And look, look, look. At, yes, it beads. I understand. <laughs> Because here was the problem. If we looked at the cow over there, you know what the left hand did as he pointed with the right hand? It followed. And looking at the signs, and okay, we're back on the highway. And as we looked at the stuff over here, you know what we did? That's why you can't put your hand to the plow and look back. Because we're all going to die in a fiery crash if you do. This is why the charge is to do what? Take up your cross daily. It's the same thing in Luke. It's the same section of Luke. To take up your cross daily and follow forsaking. And this is again why I urge you to make sure that that anchor is tethered how often? Every single day. Because there's going to come a point where you're going to find yourself drifting and go, ooh, wait a minute. <laughs> okay, ooh. All right, yeah, we're good. We're good. And you know why you're going to do that? Because the Holy Spirit went, ooh, drifting. Come back this way. Thank you. Good job. Because that's what he does, is he keeps you in line. He keeps you reminded of the things that you're learning and the things you're preparing for, and he sends you along the way. That's not going to happen for Pharaoh, and he is the perfect example of what happens when we forsake the anchor that we've been given, which is Scripture, 
We don't have something else. We don't have a philosophy. We don't have a worldview that guard that guards us and guides us. We have a Holy Spirit who, by the way, you know which member of the Trinity was actually responsible for the writing of Scripture? The Holy Spirit is the one who inspired it, the one who moved men according to 2 Peter 1, the one who inspired the Word according to 2 Timothy 3. And that same Holy Spirit is the one who indwells believers. So if he's indwelling you and he inspired Scripture, you know what those two things are going to do? They're going to line up, which is why, again, when you say, well, I'm going to do this. Well, Bible says don't do that. Well, I don't listen to that. Then I don't know what you're listening to, but it isn't the Holy Spirit, because you know what he's not going to do? He's not going to tell you to do something that he told somebody else to write in the Bible not to do. So we have a guide. We have something objective, which is, again, why we started. Where did we start here? If you have an authority, where is it found? In the Word. If you want to stand on something other than that, you're standing in the wrong place. Do the evaluation, get back to the basics, and then walk rightly according to what? what God has given in his word. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we can gather together as your people, that we can study the words that you have given to us, that they can guide us, that they can steer us, and they can provide for how we live in this place. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to strengthen us to do that great work, that as we are your people, doing your work in what is ultimately to be your kingdom, that you will strengthen us, that you will guide us, and that you will keep us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. Father in heaven, now we love you. We lift your name in all the earth. May your kingdom be established in our praises As your people declare your mighty works Blessed be the Lord God Almighty Who was and is and is to come Blessed be the Lord God Almighty who reigns forevermore. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. Father in heaven, now we love you. 
We lift your name in all the earth. May your kingdom be established in our praises. As your people declare your mighty works, blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore, who reigns forevermore. Uh, just a uh, reminder to remember to keep 80 and by in your prayers this week. And if anything changes with that situation, we'll update as soon as we get information let everybody know. So let's pray. Again, Lord, as we leave this place, ground us in your word, that we would know you, love you, trust you, and serve you, that we would make your word our standard, and we would be grounded firmly upon it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.